Hello, everyone. This is Brad Boyce and talk to you live from Dubai. We are doing our podcast preemptive to our learning sessions for HR Learn-In. I'm joined by my co-host and co-founder, Fahad Khalaf. Fahad? Hello. Welcome. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Yeah. So this is the first in our, our series of sort of the pre, pre-learning session podcast, Fahad. Yeah, it is. It is. So it's going well, by the way. I was checking the stats and that's, there's a good number of engagement. Like it's been distributed across several, several platforms and there are many listeners. And surprising that the, our listeners is between 30 to 65. So The age group? Yeah, the age group. So, Interesting. So, so thank you very much, everyone, for listening to us. And uh, we promise you it's going to get more excited. Yeah. And so we have as our first uh, guest, uh, the speaker who will be doing the learning session on Tuesday of next week, Sandrine Bardot. Hi, Sandrine. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us and uh, welcome. Welcome to the premiere episode of the podcast for the learning session. So we thought with these podcasts preemptive to this, we were going to be a bit, on one hand, less formal, less sort of... uh, structured in terms of the session but we also wanted to share some insights maybe some preemptive to the the talk that you might be doing but it's also sort of less scripted less structured a bit more informal so um thank you thank you for joining us on this and thank you for sharing your wisdom and expertise with the audience i know you're a very busy person uh last week there was a, a virtual conference that was done in the middle east and i think you had several sessions there Yes, I did. And I did another session with another uh, group. In oh, the wow. As well. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for that. And I, I think we're all sort of adapting to that world of uh, you know, whether it's uh, the conference call or the Zoom chats or the teams. And then the, it's just really becoming integrated into our, our, our new world of work. And yes. uh, there's some good and bad things about that. But uh, <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll save that for another episode. So we really leave it up to you, you know, as a subject matter expert to decide what, uh, what you might want to talk about. And okay. uh, I know you're doing universal basic income for the, for the learning session, but maybe yes. you're, you're, you're known for, as a comp and Ben expert. There's just, you know, you, your expertise is, exceeds the region that we're in. Um, so maybe just start by saying what, what you wanted to talk a bit about today. Sure. So I think um, because I'm doing this kind of forward-looking topic of the universal basic income, which I honestly don't believe is going to happen in the next two or three years, but I think you gave away you gave away your uh, (laughs) conclusion. So (laughs) no, 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 that I didn't, I didn't. But I think that uh, I would like to talk about some of the changes that I see happening uh, in the world around us and how they impact organizations and how that impacts the performance and reward function. Because we hear a lot of uh, uh, talk about the future of HR, but it's usually about future of talent management or talent acquisition. Nobody's really talking about the future of Compenven. And I think a lot of what's happening in the world today and around us is going to impact how Compenven is going to be done or total rewards or, you know, performance and rewards, whichever way we want to call it. Uh, So I think uh, that's what I would like to just talk about today. Well, feel free to dive in. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you, you make such a good point is we often talk, talk around the softer parts of 
future of work in part because it's easier to do, isn't it? You know, you're, yeah. you're sort of, you can be a bit more vague or abstract, but uh, when you get into the comp and band total rewards, there's a exactly. bit more concreteness that's involved for, for better or worse. So exactly. Tell, exactly. tell us where do you, where should we start? Okay, so I think the first thing is something that we are all uh, experiencing and hearing about, and it's work from home, work from anywhere, and flexible working environment, which is for a lot of people uh, a new experience. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to, to not look into the frontline workers, but I'm, I'm going to assume for most of us who are doing you know, office work, most of us can have some form of work from home. And work mm -hmm. from home has started to lead into conversations about work from anywhere. And mm -hmm. that has a massive impact on uh, pay structures and we're already starting to see debates happening in terms of compensation and benefits. Companies like Facebook and others have announced that if you're an employee who is currently in a high cost area like uh, San Francisco or New York and you decide to move because the company says you can work remotely at Vitam at, uh, as of now, and you decide to move to a lower cost area, they have decided that they would adjust pay downwards. And there is a lot of debate at the moment online whether that should be the right uh, approach or not. Do you pay for the work or do you pay for the cost of labor in the area where the person is located? In which case you would say, hey, if you're moving someplace else, I will decrease your pay. Now, what I find interesting is that some organizations, they say, hey, if you move to a lower cost area, we will decrease your pay, but they never speak about increasing your pay if you move to, to a higher exactly. cost of living area. So exactly. I find that a little bit uh, uh, ambiguous, let's, let's just say. But it also has impacts, not just on uh, trying to think about how do we define you know, salary structures and how do we define how we, we talk about pay, but also it has impacts on global mobility. Because if now you can work from anywhere and your teammates can be somewhere else in the world, do we really need to still have global mobility and sending some international assignees to some other countries? I would argue yes, but probably there will be a massive change in the number and the type of expatriations that are going to take place in the coming years. Uh, because when I hear all this talk about virtual assignments, it makes me smile a little bit, to be honest, because what's a virtual assignment? It's me working from my home and managing a team which is in another country. That's work from home. That's work from anywhere. That's not a virtual assignment because I don't learn anything by being exposed to another culture and not close to that team and so yeah, on. So yeah, that kind of defeats yeah. for me. Big the difference. There's of, a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Of global uh, mobility. So we're going to see some changes there. And I think as well that we're going to see a lot more discussions um, about inequalities. We see, uh, we will see some people who are kind of trapped where they are because they have to be to do work but they have to be physically uh, present while others can do virtual work and uh, there there probably is going to be some kind of discussion there about if we say that some positions are essential um, why don't we pay more for them because those positions tend to generally be uh, 
you know, if you think about, you know, nurses and uh, waiters, people working in service industry and so on, there's a lot of females in the U.S. It's typically minorities as well that are uh, being more represented in those populations. And so you start to go into some kind of representation of are we really, we're calling them essential. There's still those people who maybe need to have two jobs in order to make make and needs. And are we really doing what we say or like acting with uh, compliance in terms of what we say is really so important. So I think those are some of the first uh, things that are going to happen. I mean, you've pressed so many buttons in my head on this topic already (laughs) that I I feel like we could talk for two hours and I want to make sure that we get your wisdom in this particular session, but you really got me thinking about the whole idea of, of work anywhere, because, you know, I think like yourself, myself, you know, a lot of expats in say the GCC, for example, one of the attractions for working here historically has been yes. the reduced tax environment compared to our countries yes. of citizenship or, or domicile. And, um, this is a game changer in so many ways, but, yes. and, and I was talking to Fahad even before we started recording about Dubai's uh, proposal. I think it was just Dubai, not the whole UAE yes. of, of, you know, trying to create a, a talent Yes. attraction um, system to get people who can work from anywhere to to come and live in the UAE and work virtually here. Um, how, how, how do you think that works in terms of the broader sort of talent management market? So I would tend to think that, as I understand at the moment, the idea is that those people would have to have a current income of about $5,000. So they are very clear about who they want to attract. It's more like, uh, you know, wealthier types of uh, expats who would come here for up to one year. I think that if those people come with work that they already have, because they're already, you know, like freelancers or work from anywhere people, and they already have that income, I don't think it would have much of an impact in terms of the talent market locally, because those people come with their own clients already. So I don't think that they're going to necessarily want to look for clients that are located here. Uh, But it could have some kind of... um, maybe some kind of people, a bit of a flux into the local market, maybe. Um, I think uh, uh, we really, really have to see uh, how, how that works um, in terms of also tax, you know, if you think about it, because if I spend one year in another country, where is my tax going to be? Depends on the country, your country of citizenship sometimes considers that wherever you are in the world, you're still going to be taxed in your home country, like in the US. Uh, but other countries say, hey, if you're physically in some other country for the whole year, then you would be a tax resident of that other country. So then what happens uh, in terms of the structure of how those people make their money? Is it through their company or is it through a salary that they pay to themselves? And then, so there are lots of things that I think we need to still think about in terms of how that's going to apply when it's put in place. And you talked about the equity of different types of, and I, that's my word, equity, because again, when you gave the example of, of uh, essential workers, work that has to be done in person and compare it to other types of work and the polarization in the fairness of that, that um, what are your thoughts on how that will unravel? Uh, uh, I think, okay, 
we've seen announcements in the last few days that since the beginning of the pandemic, the trillion, the billionaires of the world, which is a very small right. group of right. people, have earned trillions of dollars, right. Right. while a huge chunk of the world has actually lost money, even gone into poverty in some cases and so on. And I think that there is more and more consciousness. It started in the previous crisis in 2008 and 2009 with the, the, one, the, the Wall Street, uh, Occupy Wall Street movement, right, where right, people right. were not happy with the discrepancy of pay between the executives and uh, regular employees, if you will. And I think there's more and more awareness of that. And what we see is that uh, if you're interested into governance, I follow on that a little bit. Uh, you know, those big uh, companies that are advisors to the investors that make recommendations uh, mm -hmm. on how to vote for say on pay for those mm -hmm. companies that have uh, public uh, stock. They are now starting to look into that and say, hey, if you want to protect your executives, but at the same time, you're doing some pay cuts for your employees and so on, we're going to recommend to vote against you because you need to be aware and not to have too much discrepancy between what you do for the executives and the rest of the employees. And you should try to reassign part of the uh, amounts that are distributed to executive compensation to the rest of the organization when there is such a huge differential and the organization is struggling. So I think that over time, something will come. Uh, I honestly, and I, I don't want to get into politics, but I think that we're seeing some of the limits of this very, very open capitalism model that we mm -hmm. have. And I, I, I'm not against capitalism, but I also not against having some kind of uh, um, uh, rules around it and uh, safeguards to try and protect uh, the majority. It cannot be that we go back to the era of the of the of the rich oil guys you know the barons i think they were called the barons uh in the last century uh yeah. where the, the concepts were very much each one fighting for their own survival that's not what we want as a society i i believe so it's it's and you know what i like about it, it's a challenging discussion and it's very thought-provoking and i i like the fact that when we talk about being strategic, I don't care what position someone is in an organization, but if we're focusing on HR, HR related roles, this is an example of how people get to be more strategic. You think about things before they happen. You don't yes. wait for them to happen. And we know that as a textbook definition, uh, but how many people actually do it? So exactly. as you're talking, so many thoughts are coming into my mind. And I think from a comp and band point of view, I look back on how, you know, you go back in the day and, you know, I, I'm a, a bit odd in terms of HR generalist because my first background was finance. I took income tax courses, corporate tax courses, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I, I have that, that seed in my brain, which allows me to sort of think from that point of view. And, you know, you start from the uh, premise of, of sort of, you know, salaries and equity, equity in terms of ownership and the different way taxation treats that. And we're entering into a new, and you, uh, you know, you made such a good point in terms of, and I think I saw a statistic, this week that, what was it, the top 43 richest people in the United States have earned more than half of the people in the United States in the past year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if that isn't, you know, uh, social disparity and, and, yes. and class sort of conflict, I don't know what is. 
And we need to think about this stuff so that we can be proactive about it. And I, the other point that I think you made that's really important to for all of us to take to heart, and I know I do my best, is that we've been living in the past few years of a very polarized political world where you're, you know, and I'm not going to quote who, who, you know, many people have said this, but the one that was probably most famous, you're either with us or against us, you know, this sort of either yes. or binary world. And sometimes there's an answer in the middle. And, yes. you know, you mentioned in terms of capitalism, if someone, if you start to talk about more managed capitalism, that somehow people want to push you in the corner of the left and say, oh, therefore you must yes. be a socialist or further. And no, 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 no. There is a middle ground to these exactly. things. And um, I, I hope, I genuinely hope and aspire for being in the middle more. I, I tease my American friends, you know, that... Um, you know, I come from a country that is sort of dominated with a three-party political system, and the U.S. is a two-party dominant yeah. political system. And the nice thing about a three-party political system is that even the minority party gets a disproportionate amount of influence yes. when you have sort of representative government, and that's actually a good thing because it forces you to collaborate more in order to get things through, unless there's just such a profound majority that that occasionally does happen. And, and these are HR issues. Everything yes. that we're describing, if you want to be strategic, you need to, you know, it's the whole pastel, right? The political, economic, social. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and these aren't just sort of acronyms that we study for exams to get a degree. You know, it, these are very real in terms of how we frame our, our strategic yes. thinking. Yes. Um, so go ahead. There is another point that I wanted to, to raise. Uh, it's about automation and uh, artificial intelligence. And one of the uh, things that we're going to see as more and more jobs, you know, there are part of jobs that can, I don't think that jobs would be fully automated necessarily, but like large chunks of jobs will be automated. Okay. Which means that the work is going to be deconstructed back into tasks. A little bit like what happened at the beginning of the 20th century with Fordism and Taylorism, okay? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so what's going to happen? We will see, as we say, people working next to a bot or in co coordination with a bot, the bot being either a feasible, physical robot or some kind of algorithm or a piece of software with machine learning and AI, which is going to help. But if you think about it, if work is deconstructed into tasks, okay, it means that we will have to focus on skills. And I really uh, enjoyed what you said in the conference this week about uh, the fact that we should not think about just competencies, but capabilities, which is the ability to also deliver on those competencies. But if you really think about it just from a component point of view, if you start to focus more on tasks and focus on skills, what, can, what will happen to jobs in themselves, to job evaluation systems? How will you put value if people start working on projects and maybe are working half the time on one project with one team and half the time with another project? Because I'm hearing a lot of um, companies, especially in the US, that are starting to experiment with that, that people are not attached to a job and to a position in the hierarchy. They're attached yeah. to projects. And that's right. also kind of the Hollywood uh, organization model, where if you think about it, um, people are free agents and they move from one project to another. 
And uh, I don't remember to whom I was making the comparison earlier, but in that model, um, you would have a makeup artist, for example, in, in the Hollywood mm -hmm. model. And uh, by the way, I did not invent that comparison, but I think it really fits. And that makeup artist might, smart, might start their career by working, you know, on low budget, you know, $50,000 B-series horror movie. And if, as they get more and more skills and more and more network and meet people as they work, end up being, I don't know, the makeup artist for Brad Pitt or for, for some Nicole Kidman or whatever, and end up being working on big movies. Right. The title is the same. The fundamentals of the job are the same, yet there is a difference in terms of skills, in terms of uh, abilities, in terms of networking, in terms of the groups that they belong to and so on. So I think this is going to have a massive impact in how we work, how we describe work, uh, the gig economy and um, the fact that uh, organizations are starting to realize that they might not need people on a full-time basis, they need expertise when and where they need it for some of the non-core essential activities of, uh, that they are doing. And I was meeting a potential client yesterday evening and he told me exactly that. He said, look, uh, Sandrine, for example, if I need somebody, some expertise in Compenben, I don't need somebody full time. I might need somebody to come for two or three months to work on a project. And then when that's finished, I might need somebody with expertise in L&D. And he said to me, in the end, it might cost me more than hiring somebody but I get the expertise that I need when I need it. And I don't need to worry about keeping that person motivated and giving them more work to do and all this kind of stuff. And the person is free to move on to other things to do. And I don't have a permanent cost to my organization. It's, it's sorry. I just, again, you're, you're so good at, at sort of pushing the buttons is, is I, I think I've thought about that one, the point about sort of the gig economy and you made such a good point in that, you know, the traditional textbook argument is it should cost less. But what you're saying is in a practical sense, it may in, and maybe likely cost more. But in terms of the cost benefit analysis, it's still net benefit. And that's one I'm struggling with is because and it's not a uh, permanent cost, you know, so organizations are going to be more conscious about that as well. Mm -hmm. You know, but it, it, and and that's again. I'm I'm literally debating. You know, when you ask people sort of what's in the back of their mind in terms of their own sort of trying to predict the future, I'm I'm debating right now that whole model in the sense that um, at what point do you outsource so much that you no longer have the institutional creativity that is your unique value proposition as an organization? At some point, you just hollow it out. Everyone's a um, holding company and no one has, you know, so I'm, I'm, I, I see both extremes. Yes. I'm sort of wondering where's the market yes. going in that, in yes. that conundrum. And I think what we're going to see is that a lot of organizations are going to remain more classic, but they will introduce some form of flexibility, maybe to the fringe. Mm -hmm. But some organizations are become more like fully distributed. So what's the difference between a remote company and a distributed company? A remote company is one that has a headquarters and now accepts yes. for their employees to work from anywhere. The distributed company right from the start has been created with no central headquarters, no central office where people go and people across the world. So there is this, um, this company in the, in the U.S. called GitHub. Uh, I think mm -hmm. they were mm -hmm. the first one 
wants to be fully uh, distributed, they have written like handbooks that they've put uh, uh, available for everybody to, to see and uh, to explain what they've learned from their experience. It requires whole new different models of uh, management, models of thinking and so on. But I agree, in some cases, how do you create the culture? How do you make sure that you have your creativity? Um, coming back to the Hollywood model, what we see in that model, and I think what I'm starting to see personally in terms of HR freelancing, is that over time, people find other freelancers whose skill uh, uh, complement or enhance theirs and whose kind of mindset and uh, expertise levels are similar to theirs. And so they kind of forms those informal networks of yes, people yes. who will tend to work again together and move together and on those projects. So uh, it's... Um, maybe organizations can benefit from that because if they start to create a, a relationship with such a group, they can benefit from some form of commitment of that group by having a regular interaction with them like once every year or once every two years, whatever, when they need. But coming back to the same people who already have passed that first hurdle of getting the knowledge of the organization and so on. And I'm not saying and, you need to have repeat freelancers necessarily, but it's it's nat it's it's human nature. We do that that referral exactly. sort of network, and and yes. you know there's an exodus right now out of Silicon Valley for several yes. different reasons, and yet the networks are staying the same. And it reminds me of the original reason why Silicon Valley became Silicon Valley. It was sort of exactly. the Michael Porter model of clusters, where you know industries attract talent, and it, you need to have that sort of hub to it. And and what you're describing is still a hub of talent yes. but it, it's it's virtual and and yes. i think you're on to something there and portable <laughs> and it, yes. it, it it and people will work on projects and then you have a team of 10 and then another project comes up and you may not refer all 10 to that project but yes. this happened in the physical world i remember doing this when i was in hospitality and you know you'd hire a, an executive chef and the executive chef would then say well you know my sous chef was really good from my last position can can they come and it, and then all of a sudden 25% of the team yes. is from the previous employer and this is you know people work in hr see this all the time yes so it, it's happening in that virtual sense it's a fascinating dynamic yes yes definitely yeah. Definitely. And uh, so, yeah, so I think we see a lot of those changes. There are also changes in uh, uh, communities and uh, how organizations are located in their communities, which has an impact on uh, the focus on corporate social responsibility, uh, the, the impact of climate change pay equity audits, how by companies being more integrated in their communities, that would have an impact on, you know, equity compensation, long-term incentives, um, changing the role of the remuneration community. Um, there are lots and lots of things that are, that are changing and that are uh, impacting the world of, uh, of performance and reward. I mean, even if you think about it, the, the current way of doing remote work is going to change how we do performance management. We will probably see a shift to more collective KPIs, uh, mm. collective ways of rewarding performance and so on, because it's going to become sometimes a little...
a bit more difficult to just focus on individual contribution, but also um, individual contribution tends to create sometimes, you know, competition exactly. within teams and that's not what you want as an organization. Yeah. So uh, there are lots of uh, things that are going to change in the coming years. It will come slowly, but I think that we are going to see a massive, massive evolution of the role of the performance and reward team. And I'm very happy for one about it. I can't wait for the big software providers to finally put their hands on compensation and benefits and automate a lot of this boring, tedious work that we do, you know, when we are preparing still salary reviews and, and stuff like that on Excel spreadsheets, which are prone to errors. We cannot really easily do simulations and so on. Once we take away, and I think a lot of company people are a bit scared of that because they think that their expertise lies in, you know, mastering sure, the Excel sure. spreadsheet and, and being able to do that. But actually, no our role is in how do we analyze that data? What kind of scenarios do we, do we simulate? How do we anticipate changes in the workforce and so on? And uh, this is where we're going to be bringing a lot more value in the future. What, what do you see? So we're, we're coming sort of at the top of our hour and I, I wanted sure. to sort of summarize. So, I mean, again, you just touch upon so many ideas. If you were to give your wisdom to someone in HR or one of the specialties, Comp and Ben, as to what someone can do right now to sort of better prepare for what you know you foresee as you know the near future of work. What would you recommend people do? I know it's going to sound cliche, but constant learning and unlearning yeah. is mm -hmm. so important. And I remember that I've always, always said that and sometimes shocked people around me when I was saying, I put at minimum one hour per week on my calendar, even when I was in corporate, to official learning. So to watch a webinar or something like that. And I have a full day per quarter minimum where I would block a full day and just not be available for any other work and just catch up on reading and so on. I think if we, if we don't keep ourselves updated of what's happening and outside of our area of expertise. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that I need to know only about what's happening in performance management and compensation and benefits. I need to know what's happening in uh, uh, HR analytics because we're quite close. I need to understand talent management. I need to understand workforce planning. I need to understand my business. I need to understand marketing and communication because this is so important one of my presentations was about behavioral economics and so we need to understand some form of psychology as well we're not just about the the hard facts so i think this constant learning is going to be so 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 important in the future and uh, and just go with whatever you think is the most interesting to you because if you don't have some passion for what you do you will not be good in it you will not enjoy it, so you will not continue to learn in it, and then you will start to regress, and you will be left on the side. So, so I true, so true. believe in that as well. And and it is, you know, it is it is quoted a lot, you know, continuous learning. But you know, I, I'm listening to an audio book uh, last week where the authors were were saying, and, and I added to it in my own mind is imagine job description Sandrine, where one of the tasks is not just generic continuous learning, but we're going to hold you accountable in terms of your performance review. Yes. What did you learn? Like yes. it's actually listed as a task of the work. So it's blending sort of that old traditional world and, and the new world. And it's kind of, um, 
codifying sort of like the old 20% rule in the Google days and stuff yes. like that. And I, I, I think um, if your organization isn't doing that, you need to do it yourself. And, you know, for hot knows, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking a course right now and I'm probably going to sign up for another one. And, and I'm not just talking about sort of the online courses, but the, the continuous learning, you know, um, courses, because yeah. I find from my own model that even if in, if you take sort of a hundred percent in the time that I'm spending, I'm familiar with 70, 80% of the content. I I find that, 20, 30% that I wouldn't have found otherwise. Exactly. And, and, and that trade-off is, you know, it's, it's a, but that 20% creates the seed of growth to something exactly. that, that goes beyond that. And, and I think that's a, I think it's a hard sort of concept for a lot of people to accept, especially when we have so many demands on our time now, and it's less structured in sort of this remote world of work. Yes. But if, if you don't do it and your organization does it, doesn't do it, you really sort of limit your potential. So final uh, thoughts, Sandrine. Yeah, and I, I think to, to come to that, when you start to learn and you learn things that might not seem to be so much connected in the beginning, but after mm. a while, when you have enough depth in your think, thinking, you start connecting some dots and creating new thoughts and new ideas. And yeah. I will tell you, I remember my late uh, father when I started blogging uh, back in 2010. Uh, he could read English, he spoke English very well. And he, I remember, he told me one day, I don't understand something, why do you share so much of your knowledge for free on the blog? People just need to read what you've written and they can do your job. And I was like, Dad, somebody else, there's only one me. Nobody else has had my professional experience, my conversations with others and what I've learned from friends and, and conferences and so on and can put things in a, in a way. My value is what I create based on, based on those basic blocks. At the beginning of your career, you need to build those basic blocks. But when, as you get more advanced in your career, that's where your value is, is in connecting those dots and like me knowing that the hospitality industry is doing one thing and can I change that slightly and apply it to oil and gas for example for a specific thing and it might not be copy the whole model but you can if you don't have that knowledge of different things happening in different places you can't do that so the constant learning yes definitely that's uh, my one thing that I would recommend to anybody and well, you can start good. at any point in your career well said. And, and again, so, so many nuggets of wisdom in the session. Um, Fahad, your thoughts? Um, today I'm a silent individual, so I was learning more than just... Yeah, that. it's a learning <laughs> session, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. No, this is one of the, I think, one of the areas that uh, I, I don't have a lot of information. I just have a general information. And I think you dig much more deeper than I thought, and I wrote a lot of comments. So obviously, uh, I'm sure I will be having a lot of takeaways in your session. So, yeah, it's an amazing sh session. Thank you very much for, for Thank you. these wisdom and insights. Thank you. Good, good. Okay, and uh, we look forward to your uh, learning session on Tuesday, Sandrine, and yes. supporting us. And thank you so much for supporting what we're doing because I think hopefully not just you, but others also feel that we're trying to live the values which you're sharing right now, yes. continuous learning and, 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 and creating an ecosystem and community of like-minded individuals. Indeed you are. It's great. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy uh, to have had this opportunity 
to have this conversation for the first time, actually. So that's uh, also a new, <laughs> a new thing for Great. you. <laughs> okay. So with that, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Uh, final thoughts, Fad? Yeah, um, guys, we, we would like to remind you, if you don't have any information about us, please jump to our website, hrlearnin.com. We have a lot of great information, great resources. And don't forget that we started our event, HR Learn In, or we called it the Deep Learning or Learning Journey, uh, version two. So you jump into our events, you'll have all the details there. And obviously, Sandrine will be our next instructor or mentor related to basic universal income. And uh, obviously, uh, if you're listening through other social media, please, please don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. And obviously, you know, let's, let's learn all of us together. And I yes. will let the ending for, as usual, the slogan for Brad. Okay, everyone. As we say at HR Learning, tune in, skill up, pay it forward. Until next time, from Dubai. Cheers.